Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Women Be Well. My name is Jennifer Tomlinson and welcome to the show. Now, a few housekeeping items. My dog will 85% chance bark during this. And when it happens, I'm going to pretend like she didn't and then try to recover and fail. So when that happens, all you got to do is just laugh. All right. (laughs) Um, I am not at a studio today. I'm not at John Q's studio today. I am recording home on my um, Apple device in my living room. Um, So, yeah, that's just the nature of the situation right now. And it's all good. Um, I just thank you guys for being on this quarantine journey with me as I've been hopping around trying to find space to still give you content. And today's topic doesn't involve a guest. I'm just rolling solo again. But I really wanted to talk about um, something that happened to me um, in terms of like my own self-awareness and revelation and coming into myself. And it was really addressing all the identities that make up who I am. So this topic is on um, really identifying your class status in society, your socioeconomic status, and really thinking about how much that really makes up your identity. I'll start with teaching you guys or talking about this concept of intersectionality. I believe it's come up in a show episode before. I'm not sure. It might be on the, um, in the episode, um, sister in solidarity being a racial ally, or could have been in the episode with Rudy Darden. Um, sis, you need a, a gender ally. I'm not sure. Some of you guys might be familiar with the concept of intersectionality. Some of you might not be, but it is a term and a theory that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. And what she really talks about is um, helping people identify their own multiple identities and having others understand the multiple identities of a person as it pertains particularly to systems of oppression. So there are a lot of things that make up who you are, right? Like your personality, maybe you're introverted, maybe you're extroverted, um, maybe you're creative and artistic or expressive or athletic. All of those things are important, but when we talk about intersectionality, what we're really talking about are parts of yourself that um, are negatively impacted by the society or the institutions you belong to. Um, and, and, and I s- should really um, clarify this. It's not just connected to systems of, opp- of oppression. It's also signified by systems of privilege. So there are parts of you that might be Uh, might be benefit, might benefit in the institutions you belong to. So let me give you some examples for, um, let's talk about the basics like gender and race. Those are the biggest things that most people can identify when they learn about intersectionality, they can identify really quickly. In fact, when I think about me as a woman, um, or a black woman, like that's how I came off or I, those are the two biggest things I would say particularly in my college years. So if someone was to be like, Jennifer, what kind, who are you? That's the first thing I would say, right? I'm a black educated, um, beautiful black woman, you know? (laughs) And those were the two identities that I just knew very quickly how to identify to because I recognize my world 
in that lens very early on as um, as a young black woman and seeing my other um, seeing others in my family or my social circle exist in that realm and under very understanding very quickly that being a black woman um, requires specific. It's just different. Right. (laughs) Uh, But there are other things about you that um, you might not be privy to. Um, So race, gender are big ones, but age is a significant identity that um, could be impacted through privilege or systems of of oppression. Um, Your sexual identity, religious affiliation, um, whether or not you have a disability or not. These are other huge components that people can exist in. So imagine if someone um, is a white male, right? Let's say he's a white heterosexual Christian male. (laughs) He has a very different lived experience, say, um, in comparison to a black, female, disabled, queer woman, right? Like they might both live in the same area, but have totally different experiences. The thing about intersectionality too, as a black woman, I might have um, those two systems of oppression that I recognize very quickly, but I also need to recognize my places of privilege. Like being heterosexual in America, I gained some benefits uh, from that experience. Like there are some things I don't ever have to think about that um, a homosexual has to deal with and battle with every day. It's the same thing with being Christian. I live in a Christian normative society. I don't have to think about whether or not I offend someone if I say things like, God bless you, or I'm going to pray for you. Um, And that's a privilege living in a society where the Christian normative values are seen as standard and not others. So even in my own identities that um, exist under systems of oppression, Understanding intersectionality also teaches me of the areas or the identities that make up who I, my identities that make up who I am that also benefit from privilege. It's a very complex concept, but hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. So I want to talk about one category that people just don't talk about, and that's money. And I, I you know, I grew up Jamaican, so, and this is, I, I've learned this is just a Jamaican thing. This is like an American thing, like people don't talk about money. Like if you grew up in a house where your parents told you how much they made and how much the bills are and how money works and um, how much, you know, they're saving for retirement or what their credit card limits are, you were lucky. That to me was private. We grew up thinking that talking about money and fiscal things like that in the household was a private matter. And think about our culture. We also teach people not to talk about money. It's almost like talking about politics. It's like, you don't ask somebody how much they make. You don't ask somebody how much their house costs. It's very rude, right? And so we exist in a society where you might work at a place and you don't know that the person next to you who's doing the same job might be making two times more because we just don't talk about it. So, um, Culturally, we don't talk about money. And so in my world, in my head, I just never thought of it as an important component of who I am in my lived experience. I just never thought of it. And last year, um, I went to a training 
for a diversity and inclusion workshop. So I was getting certified to be a particular facilitator for this program. And I luckily I went through that program. I met incredible people. I'm now facilitating the program. Um, love it. But I, it was a hard training to go through because you weren't just training, like you weren't learning how to facilitate. They weren't sitting you down in a room and saying, here's use this PowerPoint, use this technique. You had to go through the process. So at this particular program, you had to participate fully in the program as you were, as if you were a participant. And that's how you were going to learn how to facilitate it when you went back to your um, home. So I'm, you know, and, and luckily I had done the program through my institution before. So I'm kind of like, oh, okay, well, this is kind of a refresher for me. I'm, you know, I don't have to, I'm not going to be surprised by anything. I spoke too soon. Well, first of all, I was crying on the first day. So that should have said something, something about the work I still needed to do and how I got humbled real quick. Like, girl, you, you in this work. Okay. You got to, while you're teaching and helping others, you still got to do your own work. So <laughs> yeah, I was crying on day one. I think that first day was on gender and I was just like, eh. um, I benefit from my heter heteronormative privilege, whatever, you know? <laughs> And, um, but still like I was functioning, like, cause I, I had a strong voice at this point. Like I finally had found my footing and found my voice as an advocate, as an ally and as a, as an advocate, self-advocate. So even though it was really tough, I was still going through it. Now, I think this is like the third or fourth day. It was a week long. This was the day where we focused on socioeconomic and classism. So I didn't know what to expect. And we did a pro, uh, uh, an activity. I'm not going to go into any more detail. I want to wrap the story up, but we did an activity where I realized I was the poorest person in that room. And it made sense because to participate in this training, it's really expensive. You have to fly out. Um, and so, you know, I had to have a sponsor. My institution paid for me to do this. And I'm looking around. I'm the only person representing the community college. I'm the poorest person. Everybody in that space are um, people that work at affluent um, institutions, like private, private schools and stuff. And I'm sitting there like <laughs> realizing, dear God, I'm the poorest person in the room. And in the discussion, I have to see if I'm brave enough to confess that, you know, and share what I actually wrote on my activity sheet. And it made me feel it made me realize very quickly the things I do to hide the fact that I'm not in an upper middle class or rich socioeconomic status. And I've done this my whole life. And I say this because I know a lot of black women that do this. We all do this. Okay. When you have to go into white affluent spaces, you stress out, you get anxious or you you, or if you don't get anxious, you have really good um, um, habits. Like, you know what wig you finna wear. You know, you're not gonna wear no head wrap. You know to cut your nails down if you got long colored nails. You know to tone down your makeup. You, you like, you, you prep. People, white people don't understand this. We prep to go into spaces that they exist in. They would never have to do that with us, right? Like, they're not worried about like, should I wear a dashiki or a suit? Like, if we go to if we go into white spaces, we spend so much effort and time 
making sure that we can assimilate once we enter in that space, hoping that we don't experience microaggressions because what we don't want is somebody touching our hair, asking us where we actually come from. Oh, that's so nice. That's so interesting. Your name is so unique. Like we do all of these things to prevent microaggressions. The other thing we do, and I did this the first day I got there and I realized I was around a bunch of affluent, rich, well, people from, you know, affluent um, parts of society. We have what I call our go-to phrases. When we walk into spaces, we say these things almost immediately so that people know that we belong there. So once people start talking about, oh, where did you go to school? Well, I went to so-and-so and and I went to a predominantly white um, graduate school. So I like to throw that out there first. It tells people I have a higher ed degree, like I have a, um, a graduate degree and that I went to a prestigious white school. I throw out what I majored in because what, pe- what I majored in, the humanities and classic studies is usually a white thing. So for me, that's like, if I say that, then they can know that, you know, I belong here. Um, I throw out things like I'm an educator. <laughs> I too have traveled to Europe. Although I'm still paying for that Greece trip that I went for my graduate studies program. <laughs> like I've been to Europe once, but I don't say once. It's like, oh, I too have been to Greece or Europe, blah, 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 blah. Like they have no idea I went for my graduate school field study and I'm still paying for that. Um, but we all have these liners or these things that we say to help people feel comfortable. Like, okay, well then you belong here. And it's a self-coping mechanism. It's a survival technique. And it's a way to assimilate, to make sure that we let people know we belong here. And people have no idea, unless I say it, that I am a poor black woman and I live in the hood. That's my dog. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't until I went through that activity at that training program And I remember sobbing because I realized as much as I lead with being black and as much as I lead with being a woman, the thing that really set the course for who I am as a person had mostly to do with money and my, my proximity to it. If I had grew up, if I had grown up affluent and had access to certain things, I would be a totally different person. If I had not been given opportunities and had not had siblings that went ahead of me and kind of figured things out for me, I probably would have ended up in a different situation. Like there's so many things in my life that were determined and defined by my social status, my socioeconomic status. And the only reason why I am here where I'm now, the only reason why I am here where I'm at now is because of intercessors from people. And, you know, I'm a Christian and God. And it, it hurt me to know that money really made up who I was. And it still does to this day. And um, it made me also realize, dang, like all of us do this. Like every black person does this. And it makes me feel especially connected to my black sisters. Because what also just made me ball was... I'm doing an injustice by hiding. I'm hiding in plain sight. And so people, when we talk about being poor 
you know, not having money and that your lights turned off and you had to go to a cash advance or you had to ask somebody to, um, you had to borrow money from somebody or you had to do this, this and that as a poor person, Susie and Bob have no idea that that's who they're working with. When we're at church, people have no idea that that's who I'm, that's who I'm praising with. I do a disservice because in their mind, poor looks like homeless on the street. And that is poor. That's poverty. I mean, that's a part of the conversation too. But when we talk about poor people, we're talking about this. It looks like this. And the black woman that's at your job at that, at that company who doesn't know that that job is actually worth more, will take it on the penny instead of on the dollar because we don't talk about money and we'll never speak up and say, I actually need it. We always lead with other characteristics first and we never own the fact that we are poor and we're, and we're doing a disservice out here by not showing people what poor actually looks like. I need for white America to get a clear picture of what being poor in the lower socioeconomic status looks like. I make it look good because I'm, I'm punching up all the time. I'm assimilating all the time. So yeah, my makeup is going to look good. My fit's going to look clean. Everything is going to look good. You have no idea though, that the stuff is on sale. (laughs) Or I've had the same coat for years. You know what I'm saying? Like you never know. And that's a disservice. This is what it looks like. And so when you, when you speak about poor people's needs, it's not just some mystical, you know, poor people living in tents. And that is it too, but it's also me. It's literally your sister, your brother. It's the person you see every day. Can you speak up for me? Because this is what it looks like. It also does a disservice for us as a community because we think that we're rich because we can pay our bills. Because no one taught you that being house poor means you can pay your bills and you can't save or you're one paycheck away from being homeless. Like if you lost your job today, you'd be stuck. You'd lose it all. We do a disservice when we think buying things means we're rich. And that's because we don't talk about money with each other. I think if more people embrace the, embrace the fact that they are lower middle class, meaning they're right on the edge of the poor of poverty of the poor differentiation, or they're just poor. And we have numbers for it. The U S has defined it. Look it up. It's like a household of four. If you make like $70,000 a year, you're right there, like at the cusp of middle-class and poor. And we know a household of four, $75,000 a year is poor. Like you, that's hard to live. So why do I say all of this? I say all this to say that it is my desire for people to really understand all of the parts of their identity that intersect and get a really good holistic view of themselves. I want y'all to think about that, especially as black women, as you advocate for yourself, really make sure you're also thinking about the socioeconomics. And for my white people out there, my white allies, I need for you to know this is what poor looks like. And all the time we're around you, we're trying to act like we're not poor so we can be accepted. And that's a whole thing. 
I feel like the more that we lead with the money talk, when we talk about ourselves, the better we can start talking about the issues. So what I've been doing, I've been practicing making sure I also say I'm a black woman. I don't just say I'm a, I I, I make sure I say I'm a poor black woman. I just don't say I'm a black woman anymore. I tell people I'm a poor black woman. In other words, if you got some help, you want to help me, that's the way you can help me. I don't need you to wear dashikis or kente cloth. You can help me with some adopt me. (laughs) You know what I also hate? Like I truly hate. So I've started doing this like all year. Like ever since I had that epiphany last year, I've been leading with that. And um, it's, it's, it, it's for me to help me feel comfortable with myself and my identity and really loving all the things about me, but also like, um, I'm helping others really understand what, what money actually, when we talk about money, what it actually means. And it's been such a learning, like a teaching moment for people. Okay. So this, this is frustrating to me. I was coming off of a conversation, a conference call and, um, I made the comment like a joke, like, and I'm a poor black woman or whatever. Cause, um, you know, I'm saying that all the time now. So people know, and another black woman. So we, we, ha ha ha. We're moving on. We're about to close out. And this one woman says, I just want to bring up something you said before we get off the call. I'm like, Oh yeah. What's up? Girl, I just want to tell you being poor. Don't ever say that. You're not poor. Don't ever say that. Poor is a mentality. It's not a real thing. It's in your mind. You got to unlock your mind. Okay. Okay, Barbara. Like, <laughs> and so I use that opportunity. Let me correct you. <laughs> poor is a real thing defined by the U.S. government. I am a poor. And so I'm having this whole moment. Like, no, I, I meant what I said. I I said what I said. <laughs> I, and then here, and I go, here's why I'm a poor black woman based on the data. Da, 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 and I give the numbers. I don't know them off the top of my head anymore. And it was hilarious. Cause I'm like, first, here we go. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Cause y'all don't know what poverty looks like. How is poor mentality? How is poor a thing in your head? And it's literally poor people die more rapidly than affluent people. We know that. They have less access to healthcare, less access to education. They're more likely to end up homeless. Like it's a thing that affects society. And you talking about it's in your head. Come on now. This is why I got to talk about it. Because if I can start talking about it, I could also use it as a teaching moment. Y'all got to understand what it's not a mentality. It's a real thing. And you might be poor and that's okay. You're working through it. I mean, you in school, you're doing your thing. You know what I'm saying? You about to get that job once you get the diploma, like you're working through it. But you need to identify the fact that part most of who you are as a person is because you, you grew up poor. And because you still are poor. Money is so important, too, because it's really the thing that could connect black and white people together on this social justice journey. But you got white people who are poor who still want to differentiate themselves from black people who are also poor by using the race category in their minds that they are not as poor as the black person. Okay. Even though they probably are still in the same socioeconomic class and at least they're white. 
So you can't, you can't just have a race conversation. We also have to have an economic conversation. And let me tell you something else why you got to talk about economics when it comes to social justice work, because it helps explain why some black people cannot relate with other black people because money composes your identity as well. And that's important to consider. So you, when you have a Candace Owens, I mean, she, that's her lived experience. And that's the perspective she's going to come from. Why? Because the money define her. And it's easier to join with that class in that racial group than it is to connect with her poor brother or sister. And in fact, you'll criticize them for not figuring it out like you did, even though you had privilege and access to resources they never had just based on that part of your identity. Their lived experience is making them come from that perspective and they don't recognize that privilege and it's preventing them. Well, it's creating a veil over their face why they cannot even understand poor people. You can't have a race conversation without talking about money. You can't, you got to talk about the socioeconomics. So that's why I have gone through this journey this year. Um, and why I just wanted to spend some time sharing it with you guys, honestly. And I wish I did have like kind of a group of people with me so I can bounce stuff off. Cause I know I'm not the only person with this experience, you know? So I don't know, maybe one day I'll be able to raise this topic again with some people in the group in a room at the studio. Maybe we can really talk about it because we all have this experience. I know y'all know what I'm talking about. I know stuff that I said in this, y'all were like, Oh my God, I do that too. Or I didn't realize that. Or girl, I just went through the same thing. I realized I was poor. And let me tell you, telling people you're poor is not embarrassing. I do it all the time. And people would be like, okay, well, we could pay you a little more. Yes, please, because I'm poor. All right. Stuff that I usually would take for free, I say I can't do that. If you want me to do this workshop, you have to pay me because I'm a poor black woman. (laughs) I got no shame. And it's the perfect explanation. I don't have to be like, well, you know, I'm kind of busy during this season and I just don't have the time and I love giving back. But because you feel guilty for saying that, I'll be like, no, nah, I'm poor. <laughs> I can't I cannot facilitate this entire retreat for one hundred dollars because I'm a poor black woman. But for twenty five hundred dollars, we could talk. You know, and it's also funny, like these all these organizations want to talk about equity and then not pay black black women. So in this equity workshop, there will be a conversation about socioeconomic status. So as a poor black woman, I just have to tell you that to be equitable, you should pay me as if you, if I was a so-and-so, you know, insert famous white public speaker. <laughs> y'all gonna truly, really under, under, you know, come on, man, y'all gonna under, undersell me, underbid me. I'm a poor black woman. I'm literally poor. This is your way of helping with the equity issue. <laughs> anyways I hope this helps somebody and per usual I just love um I just love I just love y'all I have no words for it I just love y'all so much and um in moments that I don't have hope or I feel like giving up um this podcast has been really cathartic 
just getting things out of my head and then getting your feedback and your comments and your DMs and your emails. Especially my white allies that listen to this. If you're a white ally still listening to this podcast, listening to me figure out like even the intent of the podcast, (laughs) I appreciate your feedback and I I love y'all for that. You have no idea. And so with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of your day and tune in for the next episode.